Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 92 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this podcast. Welcome back if you are a regular listener and welcome if this is your first show. We have been on a, a little bit of a break and hopefully we'll get on back to our regular releasing schedule. My guest this week is Stephanie Zickman. Uh, but first, if you don't want to miss out on any of the episodes, just hit that subscribe button. And here is this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. My guest today is Stephanie Zickman. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Robert. How are you? I am tremendous. Thank you very much. So yes. Whereabouts in the world are you? So I'm in Scotland, uh, a little town called Kilmarnock, which is 20 minutes away from Glasgow, if that's familiar to you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not very sunny today, as you can imagine. <laughs> so I'm all wrapped up at the moment. No, but you're just going into your warmer part of the year, isn't it? That's, well, hopefully, you know, um, we usually have about three days of summer, um, <laughs> but uh, no sign of it just yet, unfortunately, so as you can see, I'm woolly jumpered um, today because it's quite chilly outside, so yeah. <laughs> and who are we going to talk about today? All right, so as you know, I've got four dogs. It was very difficult for me to pick one because I love them all equally, obviously. Um, but we're going to be speaking about Nala, who is my, or one of my Tibetan Mastiffs, um, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. So as per my normal format, I'm going to ask you to go back in time and tell us about the, the hows and whys that you and Nala met. Oh, for goodness sake. Okay, so it's a very long story, to be quite honest with you. Um, Tibetan masters were never on my radar, ever. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, they're quite rare. <laughs> they're quite, you know, they're just, they're one of those dogs that you hear about and you think, God, no, I'll never want to have one of those. Um, and it's the whole stereotype, obviously, of the mastiff thing. But um, I, at that point, already had uh, a miniature dash hound. Um, which I had before I met my husband. She was perfect. So as you can imagine, tiny, tiny little dog. Um, and my husband came on the scene and obviously being a man, I'm not stereotyping, but being a man, a dad's hound was tiny um, and he was looking for a bigger dog. So um, he liked the, the kind of idea of Tibetan masters. So we researched it a wee bit um, and we went and we got our first Tibetan mastiff, King Louie. Um, and we realised very quickly that compatibility-wise for a small dog and a big dog, it just wasn't going to work. <laughs> um, so obviously playtime and things like that was always quite a scare because you think, oh my gosh, you know, the size difference and whatnot. Um, you know, that dog's going to end up killing my dog if, if, she, if he falls on her for something, or something like that, you know. So we decided it would be a good idea to get a playmate for King Louie and that's 
where we kind of researched and came across Nala. Um, and Nala obviously was female. So I'm not going to lie, there was that kind of appeal of perhaps we could breathe down the line, yada, yada, yada. Quickly changed our minds on that one. Um, <laughs> but we found a breeder in Wales um, and we went to see her. And you know what it's like? You see a puppy and you just can't help it. <laughs> you always go with the intent of asking the right questions. Don't you? You're like, yeah, I'm going to do all my due diligence. I'm going to find out if it's the right fit. Blah, 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 blah. But you go there, you see the puppy dog eyes and you just say, yeah, give me the dog. And, and that's you. So the rest is history. Um, so we did. So we went and collected her from a farm in Wales. Honest to goodness, I mean, you... The idea of a puppy, you think they're quite small. Tibetan Mastiffs are never small. They're huge. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much a bear cub, like, oh, honestly. And I remember having that debate going down down the, the road to get her. So it's about three or four hours drive. And we're talking about names for her. And Scott, my husband, had said, what about Nala? Because obviously they look quite lion Mm-hmm. Like um, they're, they're quite, quite full with manes and whatnot. If you've never seen one, definitely look them up. Um, I was completely against the name Nala, but funny thing is, we turned up at the beaters' home, and naturally, you ask, "What have you called her?" And they said Nala. Oh no way! <laughs> so, I was like, "Yeah." So this is just not. So we ended up we stuck with Nala, obviously. So that was the kind of how we came about finding Nala and naming Nala. Um, and yeah, we've never really looked back. To be honest, she's a good ghetto. Nice. And so, so how old was was King Louis at that time? He was just turning a year old. So okay, we yep. had we had our you know we had our hands full. To be quite honest, but you know he was dead playful. He was really playful, um, and you could tell he was really pining for like, a companion. And obviously, with Jessica being this small, Jessica's my miniature dashhound. Um, we just couldn't risk that. Um, so we couldn't allow him to play with her um, too much because it was just completely incompatible. So <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty much forced forced to get Nala by Louis. So that is how it kind of transpired. <laughs> nice. So what's the sort of uh, setup and, and how did Nala come home? And like, where do you have the sort of like the other dogs in the house? Or are they in the house? No, so this is this is where I'm going to show my lack of responsibility when it comes to guardianship because um, at that point, well, you obviously know professionally I work in the dog sector now, but back then I didn't know a thing about dogs. I didn't, and I'll be honest about that. <laughs> so I just I assumed it would be as easy as you introduce another dog into the home, and then everyone will play happy families. It'll be fantastic, but yeah, it didn't transpire that way, unfortunately. <laughs> I thought it always happens like that. <laughs> I thought it did. I genuinely, I mean, because Jessica and Louie were very much, you know, best friends straight away, but it completely changed. And that's the first kind of lesson I got taught, I think, when, you know, dealing with a multi-dog household is that every dog's an individual. And just because you had it lucky one time doesn't mean you're going to hit it lucky every single time. So um, when we initially, yeah, <laughs> when when, I, when we initially brought Nala back, um, Louie completely rejected her. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to know. I think his nose was put out of joint. 
Um, he was probably a little bit intimidated by the fact that she was also quite big, so he <laughs> wasn't used to that. Um, and yeah, she was quite bossy as well. She like very early on, she kind of showed like early signs of, and it's not funny, but early signs of like resource guarding and you know your kind of more worrying behaviours um, that for an experienced family were quite concerning at that time. Um, so the transition wasn't easy. Um, there was a lot of work to be done um, quite quickly. <laughs> but, I mean, she was 12 weeks old. She was 12 weeks old and she was, you know, very much set in her ways in terms of, you know, who was the boss in the house. And it was very much she was in charge of Louis. And <laughs> so that dynamic was difficult initially. Um, and it did take a couple of weeks before she started to kind of settle down. Um, and Lou began to kind of see the benefits of having that um, companion that was a wee bit better matched for him. So um, it was persevering, certainly at the beginning, but it was really hard work. Mm. Yep. Just going back to Nala's litter, how many were in the litter? She was a litter of 12. Okay. So quite a big litter. Mm-hmm. So um, when we arrived... Would- the the twelve weeks is a couple of weeks a little bit later than than what some of the breeders exactly. usually get them yeah take well that's it yeah that's it exactly I mean you're you're ideally you're wanting to kind of look between eight and twelve weeks but twelve weeks being the kind of later side of things but eight weeks yeah tends to be the kind of go to isn't it with most breeders these days um, and I suppose there's there's reasons to and against it but. Um, for me personally, I think that we could have done with those extra couple of weeks, certainly in our situation. Um, however, we don't know the circumstances behind it. When we came down to find to get our sorry to collect our, um, all the other puppies had gone out to their homes. Um, so there was very little we could actually see in terms of the dynamics between the litter mates and things like that, which mm-hmm. you know could have probably helped us identify those signs of resource guarding and things like that that we kind of picked up on once we got home. Um, but we did later on find out that another litter mate of Nala's was returned um, mm. because he was displaying quite um, severe kind of aggression traits and things like that. So it makes you wonder, you know, obviously um, how reputable the breeder was as well in terms of knowledge and things. But you live and you learn, don't you? Yeah, and there's so many different variables and things, and and yeah. even with a you know with the mother, is, is she producing enough food? For a litter of 12 and how much competition there is and uh, there's a a million different things that can have an impact. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And most people don't do their homework. Most people, you know, they they just, they have this lovely idea in their head and they don't don't know to ask the questions they really need to ask when it comes to the the bearing of puppies. And um, it's only when you start to really explore that in depth, you understand the significance that all that has. Mm. Yeah. So, Nala coming into the home, did yeah. Louis and, and Jessica, they obviously had their own sort of like spots in the house? 
Um, right, so this is probably, I spoil my dogs. Um, <laughs> so the majority of my house is dictated by the dogs. So um, <laughs> we have, so where I'm sitting right now, this is technically my office, but it's not really, it's the dog's bedroom, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the way our house is set up is that the big dogs, so King Louie and Nala will have access to like the back end of our house. So it's two rooms, which are basically their bedrooms. Um, and then that leads out onto a big yard outside and they have like, the run of a, a secure dog pen outside. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know much about Tibetan Masters, they like to have territory to kind of patrol. Yeah. Um, nice. So having that, that, yeah, so having that kind of job um, helps them to feel fulfilled as, you know, dogs as well. So um, they have got a kind of section of the yard, which is relatively big. Um, out there, they've also got a bespoke built dog kennel outside. Um, and the idea for that was just in warmer days, for example, you know, with double coats as well, central heating tends to be quite an issue. Um, so when it got too hot in the home, they would like to, you know, they often would like to go outside and, and lie in the kind of concrete and whatnot. So there was just shelter out there as well. But they're, to be honest, they were quite good at sharing um, living spaces quite early on. They weren't really um, territorial in that sense. I think they kind of liked having each other to kind of bounce back and forth with, um, you know, that kind of... Um, what's that word like social backing I suppose um so they do enjoy it and the big dogs certainly have the back um end of the house for their kind of um activities and whatnot and Jessica um and my other wee small dog I've got a wee miniature poodle as well they two are more in the front of the house with us they like to snuggle up you know what it's like small dogs like to be on the lap and whatever um, so, do, so do big dogs Oh, they, yes, they do try, but I mean, you'd, you'd have a broken rib. <laughs> um, actually, my husband goes nuts as well because um, obviously you can imagine two big massive dogs. I mean, King Louis, I think, is he 75 kilo? Um, and Nala's around about 63, 64 kilo. Mm. So when they're in the living room, you know, there's no space to move around. Um, <laughs> but my, my husband works away from home quite a lot. And I don't tell him, but when he's away from home, I just let them through the full run of the house and they basically patrol the whole house. But they're on the couch. So we've got a good, like we've got a good couch in the living room and they're mm-hmm. up on that and they take up all the room. Um, and in fact, I posted up a photo on my social media the other week there and I didn't even realise this, but it was a photo of me and I was sitting on the floor and the two big dogs were on the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody, somebody highlighted there was Stephanie, do you realise that you're on the floor and the dogs are on the couch? Yeah. And I said, and I was like, do you know something? That doesn't, it didn't even dawn on me. It's just, it was normal. Um, so uh, I think we do tend to spoil our dogs, but I don't think that that's a bad thing either. I think no, that, and you as, know. Long, as long as everyone's comfortable and, and when it comes yeah. down to it, what you do in your space with your dogs, that's it. Yeah. And no one yeah. else no one else really should have an input on that. <laughs> that's true. I know, and they live they don't live long either. So you're you know, it's your duty of care to kinda of give them the best quality of life you can and uh, yeah, you don't resent it at all. Yeah. Uh, mind you molting season you can sometimes resent it because you're just you're covered in hair like there's bin bags full of hair (laughs) (laughs) 
but yeah, no, it's it's good. So, how was Nala when she was going back to when she was very young, coming in there and sort of like getting used to the run of the house and things like that? I know you you mentioned she did get a little um, bit sort of like um, guarding on a couple of things, but a, a, apart from that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I'd say out of the four dogs, Nala is probably the most nurturing, the most uh, loving and willing to have cuddles and things like that. So I've got at, at that point when she came into our lives, we had a toddler. So we had a, a three year old and we had a newborn. <laughs> You're probably thinking, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> At this point, we had two kids and three dogs. Um, but, you know, she really she really loved, loved being around babies. She loved, being, you know, being around the family. Um, and she, you know, she, she enjoyed spending time with us as a family as well. Um, the only issues, like I say, we had was the around food um, she was terrible. She was absolutely terrible around food um, and around, you know, chews and things like that. So trying to manage that and come up with a, a kind of routine mm-hmm. was difficult initially because um, we had to have the full family on board for that. Um, so it did take us some time to kind of establish that sort of careful management. Um, but apart from that, I mean, she was good. She was good fun. Uh, she looked a bit like... Our coat, it was different from Louis as well. It was like a lamb's fur. It was like lamb's wool. Mm, nice. Um, and she looked, uh, she looked very strange as a puppy. She was beautiful. The, the reddest, um, like most kind of bright kind of red auburny coat that you've ever saw. She was beautiful. Um, very lazy <laughs> for a puppy. For a puppy, she was very lazy. Um, in fact, I've got a photo of her. We took her for, obviously, once her jags and things were done and she could start venturing outdoors. We took her a walk and I remember one of the first walks we ever took her. She was very big for a puppy, but my husband had to carry her halfway home because she just refused to walk. <laughs> <laughs> this is like massive puppy. Um, and you think, gosh, it was just completely different. Whereas Louis was more like Bambi, he was quite bouncy and you know eager to go um Nala would have had you lift her everywhere um (laughs) yeah it was was cool so how did you manage the walks then and and has that changed over time with Um, with all the dogs it has changed it has changed before we could probably I could have easily walked the four of them together easily um as they've got bigger obviously and heavier and (laughs) More set in their ways, I tend to just walk them individually now. Mm-hmm. But there's also the benefit of being able to have that, you know, one-to-one bonding time as well with each of them, which I think is really important. Um, you know, dogs want to walk at different paces, um, and it's really important to accommodate to that as well. Um, so yeah, Nala, unfortunately, as she's got bigger, we've we've actually discovered that a lot of our aggression has been down to an underlying health condition. So she's got bilateral hip dysplasia. Mm, um, now, which could explain how earlier on um, she was reluctant to walk as much as a puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is, you know, down to our due diligence as guardians as well. We really should have been looking for those hip tests and whatnot, you know, but we didn't, you know, but you live and you learn. Um, so she's now 
she'll dictate to us when she wants to walk. Um, and when she walks, it's not far. Um, she loves, she absolutely loves. There's a place just five minutes down the road from us, and it's like a secret trail into like all this forestry. Oh, nice. So it's very, oh, it's brilliant. It's so nice. And nobody goes there because it's so overgrown, but obviously the dogs want to get right in about it. Um, so we can let her off the lead there, which is really good. And she loves that free roam because then there's no pressure for her to go a certain pace. Um, and there's a wee bit, there's a wee hidden gem within this bit of the, the forest where there's a river. And I think I sent you one of the photos of her in the river. Um, she absolutely adores it. She loves it. Um, which is strange, again, because Louis hates water. Um, so... <laughs> You know, they're just talking cheese. They honestly are. Um, so, yeah, she loves to go there, but she she definitely tells you when she's fit enough to go. Um, so you could be looking at maybe three times a week she'll want to go a walk. Otherwise, she's she's home and she likes to just rummage in her, in her yard and things. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to highlight that, you know, there's so much pressure on us walking our dogs, you know, every single day often two to three times a day um, when there's really no need to either, you know, with people that are having, you know, troubles with, you know, medical conditions that are maybe hindering that quality of walk. There's mental enrichment that you can do at home. Um, yes. You know, I, I I often set up, have you ever heard of Snifaris? Yes. I was just going to say that um, <laughs> even before when you're talking uh, to, or told about taking it to the, into that forest area, uh-huh. There's so much yeah. natural enrichment for them to just oh definitely and yeah sniff definitely. and roll and and see and and hear yeah and I mean you realise what they're rolling and you're yeah. like oh forgive <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing I think there's so much pressure on getting those steps in that you forget the real value in just letting them sniff things and explore at their own pace. And But even still, like, if you don't have that, you know, if you don't have that luxury either, you can set up sniffaries at home. Um, so there's fantastic things that you can do. There's resources online that you can look up as well. And it's all about um, like dog-friendly plants and herbs and things like that that you can have in your own garden, um, providing that enrichment, you know. Absolutely, yeah. It's a an area where a lot of people need to do um, do a little bit more in to give them that mental stimulation rather than just a, yeah. a physical one. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really easy for us as dog parents to to feel guilty for not being able to take them out walks when we have got dogs with you know specific needs, but they don't know that these resources are out there and available. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that initially when I was you know before I kind of got into what I, what I do now professionally I was a disc jockey before it believe it or not <laughs> I mean you can't even add up the two of them you know entertainer now dog behaviorist but um yeah I think that there's a lot of guilt involved um initially if you don't know much about it um and it's only when you start to really research into things that you realize that there there are other ways of doing things that will provide your dog with, you know, the things that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned Nala doesn't mind walking into the, the streams. Does that transition <laughs> to things like bath time and stuff like that as well or? 
Oh, you think so. You would think so. But I think you know. I think dogs are very smart. I think as soon as you get that hose out, they know, yeah, this isn't going to be fun. There's ways of making it fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, um, yeah, I work with dogs all the time in the grooming industry. And, you know, it's it's all about how you introduce, how you introduce it, first of all, and how you continue to introduce it, you know, as they, as they mature. Um, Nala, yeah, she's okay with brushing. She absolutely loves brushing. Um, in fact, there's loads of, of pictures of her again, you know, on her back, you know, love me, you know, she loves to, to get brushed, but bathing's a different story. I think it's a drier process. <laughs> um, and when you're thinking about, you know, double coated breeds as well, the risk of hot spots and things is high. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be able to dry that coat in order to prevent, you know, the likes of hot spots. A lot of it as well. Oh, tons of it. Tons. <laughs> Oh, honestly, and if you've done what I did, because I had them both, um, I know I mentioned that we were thinking of breeding them down the line, we quickly changed our mind, obviously. Um, our temperament wasn't right, first of all, and our health wasn't, but we castrated them both quite early on, which was probably one of the biggest mistakes we made because their coat changed then. Okay. Um, and, it, and it made it kind of harder. It was more difficult to kind of get that, you know, um, like uh, what you call it like seasonal molt in one go it was it's now very much like over a series of a good few weeks that they'll start to molt their coats and oh it's horrendous it's a <laughs> it's a messy process um uh, especially if you don't if, a, if you have a dog that doesn't like being groomed it's it's horrendous <laughs> so that that added challenge particularly with four of them there <laughs> yes, it's a full-time job. It is. Um, I'm lucky. The other three are quite good. They're really good. Um, they're in fact, you know, they're they're yeah, they're really good. Nala's just, but again, if you think about it as well, if, if we're thinking over, you know, with the underlying pain and the bilateral hip dysplasia as well, that can also contribute to why she doesn't like it. Mm. Um, so you have to always think of that as well when you're you're talking about grooming. Um, trying to keep it as comfortable for them as possible. Mm-hmm. We've actually bought a fancy grooming pod outside the back. Oh, nice. It's in our garden. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a walk-in shower. So it's a big walk-in um, shower. I'll send you a photo of it later on. Um, so it's a big walk-in shower and everything's basically floor level for them. And that's to accommodate, obviously, to their, their joints and, and their comfort. So it's really good. That does help a lot. Um, all of my clients as well is how do we get our dogs to enjoy having our nails trimmed um, but thankfully for, for the Tibetans I've never had to mm-hmm. um, <laughs> are you asking me how I would if I, if I had to or because <laughs> there are techniques you know that, that make it a lot easier for us um, you know I always say to clients as well that if you're struggling with nail clipping see if you have them in the bath so say you go to the groomers um one of the things that we might do is we will bath them first and it, it just makes the nails a little bit more supple so, yep. so that it's easier to penetrate. Yeah, and that's something that we, we kind of often do as a little kind of trick, it, trick of the trade type thing. Um, but the, obviously there's risks involved in that as well because when the nail's um, warmer, the vessels inside expand as well, which makes the quick more susceptible to getting quick. Um, so... 
there's there's pros and cons to it, but we also have the things. I mean, have you ever heard of scratch boards? Yes, yep, familiar really with scratch cool. boards, and um, well, um, at well, we use on on our girl, we use a it's like a, a Dremel, it's like a the little sort Dremel's of like sa- sanding disc. Yep. Yeah, Dremels are good as well. It's just relative to each individual dog what they prefer, really. But yeah. um, if I were if I were having to trip. Like if I were to trim the, the Tibetan massive nails, I would have to do a lot of work prior because they do not like their paws being handled. Um, that if, if that were the case, and you'd be looking at trying to desensitise them to getting their hands their hands their paws handled first of all, um, and you would use you know positive reinforcement and desensitisation techniques in order to do that, then you would gradually build up the kind the kind of intensity of the process. So you would introduce the clippers by sight, then by touch, then by process. Yep, um, and you would work it that way. But it's all, all baby steps. Thanks. Baby steps. Baby steps. 100%. I'd, I'd venture to say that uh, where people fail is they don't give enough time to do the baby steps and they rush it and then they don't get the result exactly and I think also Robert as well is that the I think people tend to to have again it's a pressure thing of I'm going to do the nails and I'm going to leave it till they need done and then I'm going to tackle them all at once so they're already at that point where they really really need them done straight away Um, whereas what I always say to people is less is more more frequently so if you're you're doing it more frequently when the nails aren't really they're not to the point where they're causing the dog discomfort right so you're you could probably get away with that mm-hmm. not doing it but you're going to do it anyway because you're only going to take a wee bit at a time yeah and it puts less pressure on you having to do it completely anyways but also rather than thinking i'm going to get every single nail done today thinking right i'll get my i'll maybe get one or two done today maybe a couple in a few days' time. And it's a process then, and it's trying to avoid, you know, overexposing our dogs to too much discomfort or too much trauma. Much and we're better. just trying to keep it, yeah, yep. keep much, it positive. Much better strategy. Um, yep. Yeah, right. definitely. So did Nala have any special or favourite toys when she was younger? <laughs> and and did, did any survive? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do you know that is a that is a massive gap in the market. You know, finding something durable for for big jaws. Um, Tibetan master Nala. To be honest, she wasn't really a toys dog anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, I mean, they don't chase a ball, for example. I would say probably our favourite toy is the smaller dogs. <laughs> she'll. she'll it's, I've got a video. I've just, in fact, I just put up on my uh, my Instagram yesterday, and Nala absolutely loves playing with the small dogs. She just doesn't realise how big she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because Jessica, obviously, she's older now. She's twelve, so she's not in any position to play. Um, also, you know, our elongated back and everything is too much of a risk for her. Um, but. Lola, for example, Lola's a miniature poodle and she's very agile. So she can actually quite confidently play with the bigger dogs. And it's lovely to see it because it's like, I can catch me if you can. <laughs> so Nala loves to play with Lola. Um, I would say that's the only time I see her really engaged 
properly. She does love to play with Louis, obviously, but again, you would think it was like an episode. You'd think it was a scene from The Lion King, Sky and Mufasa, fine thing. Um, <laughs> it can sound pretty scary. <laughs> it's it's actually the first thing you ever hear them play. It's horrific because you think they're fighting. Um, but obviously when you start to kind of develop your understanding of canine behaviour and things, you understand that that's just dog's play. Just a playful um, wrestle, yeah. And it's really... Exactly, but it sounds so ferocious. <laughs> you know, have neighbours passing going, you know, that's just terrible. You should have those dogs muzzled and think, yeah. no, they're playing. Um, but in terms of toys, she's never really been that interested. Um, I did manage to teach her how to give a paw. Um, and there's there's apparently there's a rumour in the Tibetan Mastiff forums that you can't teach Tibetan Mastiffs tricks, um, that they're too stubborn. Um, <laughs> which is completely not true, as we know. It's, uh, it's not true. Every dog's individual. Need the right incentive. Uh, yeah, exactly. And she's very food-oriented. So, um, yeah, so she can give pawn things. So she does like to do things, but it's always, you know, when she's happy to do it, it's never something that you could initiate. Um, but, yeah, I would say that I'm trying to even think. I mean, even as a puppy, she likes to cuddle into blankets. Mm-hmm. But I would say that that's more of a kind of self-soother, like a pacifier more than a, a play thing. Um, but yeah, like I say, she probably wouldn't be able to play with anything for very long anyway because she's so strong. Um, she she does like, you know, have you ever seen the big massive cones? It's like the, the reward dispensers, but they're huge. I see it's like a jumbo one. It's massive. Yes. Yep. And um, she'll sit for it ever yeah. She'll sit for hours kind of trying to get treats from that. That's as, as much as she'll do. But again, she doesn't have to move very far for that. So <laughs> that's probably why. So how is she with other species? And has there been any interesting interactions um, there? Uh, do you know, um, when was that? During lockdown, she came across her very first hedgehog uh, and it was horrendous. <laughs> it was horrendous. Uh, no, she she's not. I wouldn't say she's very tolerable of other species. We had a cat for, for a while. Um, in fact, I don't know if you're familiar with cat breeds, but we had a main coon. Um, so basically, like the the cat version of a dog. Okay. Um, he was massive, um, and she she they they hated one another. Uh, <laughs> so she wasn't very good with that. Um, I would say she's probably got quite a good um, play drive, to be honest. Don't get me wrong, I've never chanced it. I've never let her off the lead to actually see what she would do. Mm-hmm. I would never risk it anyway, just in case. Um, but we do have, we have an in-house hedgehog as well, um, but we've never introduced them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like Dr. Doolittle, I just have all these different pets in the house. Um, but yeah, we do have an in-house hedgehog, but like I say, she's never she's never seen him. Um, and cats, again, cats are very strange animals, aren't they? We've got a cat that lives down the road and he'll walk across the wall, across from where their pen is and he'll just sit there and then you wonder why dogs and cats don't get on it's like you're terrorising <laughs> them um, and she does she goes ballistic at this cat it just sits there and you can see it's just looking straight at her going ah, <laughs> you can't get to me yeah. um, 
So yeah, she's not too good with other species, unfortunately. But um, what can you do? She is what she is. If you had to pick um, a season that she enjoys the most, which one would it be? Winter, 100%. Which is just as well, because we're in Scotland and it's pretty much winter (laughs) 24-7. I wasn't going to say anything like that. (laughs) It's Again, it's because when you think about their their heritage as well, they're from the Himalayan mountains. Mm -hmm. So they absolutely adore the cold climate. And, you know, we've had people, you know, threaten to phone the authorities for cruelty because they've seen our dogs out in the snow and they think we're being, like, cruel to them because they're (laughs) out in the snow. But the door's wide open. The door's wide open. And it's like you're trying to get them to come in and they're like, yeah, that will be right. You just see my coat. Um, so, so way too much funny out here. <laughs> exactly. Whereas you've got Jessica, my wee dash hound, who would rather pee in the house than go outside because it's too cold. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's chalk and cheese in this house. Do you ever get away as a like on a weekend or anything like that away from the house as a multi-dog household and with the kids as well and was that just <laughs> lo- logistically like oh no that's just <laughs> it's impossible unfortunately it's impossible nowhere is dog friendly for Tibetan Mastiffs <laughs> like it's it's hilarious because like you go into like a, a local pub and they'll say oh why don't you bring your dog and like you haven't got the room for my dog, so it's not dog friendly. It's not dog friendly, um, which is a shame. But what we do is we try and manage it fairly. So there'll be times where you know we'll we'll book out a day and we'll go to like a secure dog run where the the big dogs can go and they can run free and whatever. And then we'll maybe go somewhere else with the smaller dogs, and then they get to have their time. And it's just trying to kind of manage it that way, I suppose. Um, but there's nowhere you could actually we have contemplated saving up and buying like a massive motorhome but <laughs> <laughs> even I don't even think there'd be one big enough like I honestly don't it has to be like an RV yeah. and even at that you know and a trailer <laughs> I, I've thought about it I've honestly just thought about caravans and things like that as well um, but yeah realistically you're never going to get two big dogs that size plus two children and two wee dogs. <laughs> so, yeah, it's difficult. A question I asked all my guests is to complete the sentence. I can't okay. believe my dog ate. And the very first thing that came to my head when you said that was my son's entire birthday cake. <laughs> now, I swear to God, it's not... It's not even funny. And it was just this year. Um, my my youngest, he turned four in January and we decided to have, obviously because of COVID, we weren't allowed to have family gatherings and things. Mm. So we decided that this year we were going to have a party for him because, you know, it's the first time families getting together again. So we, we went all out, didn't we? We got a really fancy cake made. Um with the icing, the law at the toppings, everything. Bloody cost a fortune. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so we had it all set and whatever, and we left it in the kitchen. But Nala has discovered how to open doors. <laughs> and she got into the kitchen 
and she ate the entire birthday cake. And this was literally before his party. So it was just before his party and we didn't have a cake for him. <laughs> oh, no. um, but, but you know, the thing is as well, like, it is funny now to look back on, but at the time it was really bad because she ended up getting poisoned, obviously with the icing. Um, so, I mean, it was a really, you know, really rocky time because she was very unwell, um, you know, very sick with it. We were in, you know, the vets, emergency vets. She was getting tests. And so it was very scary. It was a very scary experience. But, um, but yeah, now, now looking back, it is funny. But <laughs> yes, not, not at the time. It wasn't at the time. It wasn't. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't believe it. It was the entire thing. I think she even ate, like, you know how the base, the, the kind of cake bases that are there just for for the cake to stand, stand on. Stand on, okay, it's like yep. plastic. <laughs> uh-huh, she, I think she even ate that because there was like fragments of icing on it and she thought, oh, no, must taste good. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's things like that now. She's an absolute disaster when it comes to like, she used to read the bins all the time. So we ended up, we had to put like her kitchen bin in a crate. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone else do that. So that you had to actually open a crate to get into your bin. Just so she could. Yeah. Um, We tried everything. (laughs) She cannot be trusted. And that that, that just Nala's speciality or is it any of the other dogs as well? Just Nala. Just Nala. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, um, have you ever heard, what was it? It was a film. There was a film and it was a boy. Was it Problem Child? (laughs) I think it was called that's Nala <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird it's like the, the older she gets the more wise she gets as well so she's she, like I say she's learned how to open the doors mm-hmm. um, I even got like a circular door it, the doorknob like yep. no way, so that she couldn't but she's somehow I don't know how she's managed to do it with that as well but she's somehow still open okay the yeah, doors yeah she's getting smart we had to change our Dogs. We've got a, uh, a female Doberman, and when I think, oh, beautiful! Yeah, I think when oh, I think it was less than a year or something like that old, and yeah, we had to change all the door handles to knobs because it wasn't long <laughs> before she figured out, oh, this is how you you, you get around the place. <laughs> you just you don't realise how advanced they are. It, it's it, it's admirable. It's you know it's you can't believe it. It's unbelievable, but it's also admirable as well. Yes, I think in, in general we don't give them enough credit. They're a lot credit. smarter than what most people think. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. So did you take I heard a, a story. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I heard a story. One of my clients told me a story a few months ago about two of her dogs, right? And um, one of the dogs has a spot on the sofa, right? And he loves this spot on the sofa, but there's only enough space for one of them. So the other one always ends up on the floor. But anyway, so this dog on the floor began to observe when the dog on the sofa would get off the sofa. So he learned that when the door rang, or if 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 there was someone at the door, the dog on the sofa would get off the sofa to go and see. So what he started doing was he would run to the door and he'd pretend that someone was at the door just so that the dog on the sofa would jump off to go and see. Then he would run, run back and he'd in sit and get, on the couch. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not, I like it. Isn't it? I couldn't believe it. So did um, did it take Nala a long time to recover from the cake incident? Or was she have to stay overnight at the vet's? Or She didn't stay overnight, actually. I think they were quite... 
they're quite happy with the fact that she'd been sick quite enough times to hopefully have, you know, um, got everything out of her system. But she was on um, a food ban um, just to help settle her stomach and things. And there was plenty of water then to replace, obviously, the fluid that she'd lost. Um, so she was about, I would say, maybe about two or three days. She was a wee bit kind of off. And then she was back to typical Nala again, trying to do trying to read the bins again and <laughs> that's they just don't learn do they but it was a it was a scare it was have there been any other vet visits for for nala oh, yeah. um apart from apart from her 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 hip dysplasia um before before lockdown i was taking her to a holistic vet for acupuncture mm-hmm. um and she loved that she loved the pamper it was just funny she'd just sit there and all these wee pins would be poking out of her <laughs> not a care in the world just so happy to be pampered um, but I'll need to actually start that back up again because obviously Covid got in the way and we stopped but I would say that apart from that she's been relatively healthy it's just all about pain management now um, obviously as she matures it'll probably get worse I mean we've been quoted she, we have been told that she'll probably need um hip replacements but we've been quoted £15,000 per hip wow oh, per hip yeah wow per hip yeah and it's a 50-50% chance that it's even successful um, and then obviously with that you're thinking um, the wear and tear of the bones is then going to cause probably arthritis and things anyway so it's not really a cure um, so there, I think there's some kind of tough decisions for us to make going forward um, as she gets bigger as she gets older sorry but we're just embracing the day um, and making most of the good days that she has. So, I mean, she's five now, so she's still young. Do you think with the, when sort of COVID started, so she's had sort of, it's almost like a 50-50 pre-COVID life and then COVID yeah. comes around and then everything changes and inside. Did you notice much of a change with Nala and, and the dynamic even with the other dogs? No, I mean there was there was we were quite we were quite lucky actually that we did I think because our living space is quite big, um, we were able to do a lot of things with the dogs even indoors or even within the yard as well. So we've got quite a big kind of garden outside. Um, and what I did then was I just I, I kind of researched more into like sensory gardens and things like that, and we. We made it more dog friendly so that we could do things like that. And then it was also a good opportunity for my children to learn a lot more about dogs as well. So they got to, you know, know behaviour and body language. So we made it work. It was actually really good fun. Um, But one of the things we definitely did try to enforce was um, time away from the dogs, even through lockdown. Because obviously, as, you, as you'll know as well from talking to other people, is the separation anxiety was pretty bad. Yes. Um, just because we were always in house, but um, we made a point of having those, you know, exercise opportunities to actually go out for an hour or two each day, mm-hmm. um, and make sure that the dogs had, you know, the time to themselves. And it's good for dogs anyway; they don't want to be around twenty four seven, really. Um, as long as they're, you know, they've got something to occupy themselves with and. They tend to be okay, but I think if you get into that cycle, being with them constantly, then they start to kind of fall into that habit and that 
cycle. So it was, no, we actually, we excelled over lockdown, actually. <laughs> it's a family. Um, we actually appreciated one another more, I think, which was good. So we're very lucky in that, that sense. And we were all healthy. So Great. that good was a, yeah. a big bonus. <laughs> so when um, you have to go out and take Nala in the car, where does she <laughs> ride? <laughs> <laughs> um, so before um, I used to have a van that was kitted out with you know secure crates in the back mm-hmm. um, because that was part of my work as well anyways so they would go into the van it's quite low set um, so it was good for them to get in and out of with ease the big dogs certainly the wee dogs obviously got their wee seats you know the wee cute lap dog seats that you get that's specific for them but um I since then gave up the van, so we don't have a van now. We drive uh, a Volvo, um, which is quite a safe car, and we just have the boot then. And to be quite honest with you, the boot is just the right size for one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, harnessed in and whatnot as well is important. Um, but yeah, we have to usually take them one at a time. That's the only thing. Uh, <laughs> it's just less than ideal but uh, it is what it is but Nala doesn't really apart from when we're going to the outdoor ones which are a wee bit further away she won't really go on in the car she doesn't really like it too much mm-hmm. um, her kind of her place to go when venturing out really is the river just five minutes down the road and our vets are literally just across from there as well so it's quite handy yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. So apart from the uh, the ones that we've already talked about, would you say Nala has any other interesting habits or quirky things? Hmm. That's necessary. I know this is a difficult question because I'm trying to think of things that are quirky. Apart from the fact that she's just she seems to have this ability to unlock doors and problem solve and find find some form of food to kind of steal um quirky habits she's she's probably not a ladylike dog i don't know if that is a quirk but she's very much spread out <laughs> like, she's not very elegant um like you usually find her in the most like awkward positions and you think like that's just so not ladylike you're just (laughs) all out for the world to see um and usually right at a door entry as well so you can't get out so she does like to barricade you in um and she's she's been terrible she's terrible at snoring terrible snorer (laughs) (laughs) i always say i wish she was a cat because at least cutting is calming but hers is snoring and it's yeah see when you're trying to work especially when i'm on a podcast actually or if i'm you know i'm trying to record something for work you usually hear her in the background snoring feel the house vibrating (laughs) (laughs) yeah people are just like what is that noise it's nala snoring um but yeah, she's pretty vanilla otherwise. Um, but she's she's a lovely dog. Off the top of your head, one of the happiest moments that sort of come to mind with just you and Nala. Oh gosh! And if it's I, not just I, you I and Nala, it, it can be with 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 some with Nala and someone else. <laughs> no, I think that. See, to be honest, any any time we went for acupuncture, that was always a lovely experience because you could really see her relaxing, mm-hmm. um, and you know it was 
it was always a day well spent because we had a routine. So we go, we go to the appointment and we go to Starbucks, we get a wee puppuccino thing, which was pathetic because it was like one lick and it was gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you had that wee routine then and it was that mother and daughter. That sounds so pathetic, doesn't it? Mother and daughter. But you know what I mean? You know, just me and her spending some quality time together. Um but apart from that, the happiest I've ever saw is in the river. She loves the river. And it's just, there's something just really special about watching a dog in a natural environment without any form of restraint, like no leads attached, nothing, just being a dog and exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, that's a really magical moment. Um, in fact, we need to get back down. She's not been in a wee while. Um, so, yeah, no, they're, they're the happiest moments. Ah, nice. Yep. I've got a picture of that in my mind and it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so serene. It's so quiet and calm. And because no one's there either, it's just so calm. Um, it is. It's love. Mind you, you come out and you're eaten by midges. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so you're all spotty and itchy after it, but it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> Seb, any other sort of interesting stories or incidents that, that are sort of coming to mind at the moment? Nothing, nothing happy anyway. <laughs> um, we we've had a few traumatic events with Nala. Um, some really big learning curves with her when she was quite young as well. Like I think, and I think it's important to highlight the risks actually because obviously I'm not sure if the laws where you are, but when it comes to laws here, um, collars are essential when you're out. Um, and dogs have to wear collars with ID, otherwise you're in breach of the law. So, um, but one of the things we uh, that happened to us quite early on was that the two of our Tibetans were out playing um, with their collars on, and Nala managed to get her collar stuck on like one of the the points of her, her fence and how the kind of prongs yes. of a fence. Yep. Um, and her collar got caught on one of those when she was playing with Louie and it twisted so far around her neck that I couldn't get her free and we almost lost her. Oh, no. And, you know, and that's, that's something that's always kind of stuck in the back of my head is that while, you know, collars are fantastic for identity and whatever, is when you have them, especially when you have them at home or outdoors in your yard where they're safe and secure anyway, just remove the collars because... That was a really scary experience. I think it could also have had an impact on our behaviour as well. Um, you know, some form of post-traumatic stress, you just don't know. Um, but it was pretty, pretty horrific. And I have to say, if it wasn't for my husband coming home, because he was actually at work when that happened, he came home just in time because I had I didn't have the strength to lift her free. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. She was a big, big dog obviously um and he managed to come in and save her but i mean we were minutes away from her you know losing her it was horrendous traumatic experience for everybody and oh definitely so she's not had the best of luck poor nala but um, but apart from that thankfully she's never had anything else like it but it's just something to be mindful of i suppose yes no no it's very good and it's uh like they say even when letting the dogs it within those areas that they can be let off leash, that people are also mindful that they don't get caught on branches and things like that that's as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's it as well. That's one of the things. I've never let my dogs off leash in a public place anyway. Um, 
But like you say, I mean, it can still happen in that natural environment. So even down at the river, there could be a branch poking out the river and the collar gets caught on the river, you know, you did the branch of the river. You just don't know. Um, you've just got to be so careful and constantly observe your dog at all times. Yep, and that's the key because sometimes uh, between what you're meant to do by laws and things and what you're yep. meant to do by keeping out, you know, like a general health and an eye for the dog, sometimes yeah. they don't exactly match up and you, uh-huh. you don't know really what to do with some people. Or some. That's it. That's it. But, um, Stephanie, it has been a wonderful conversation. love hearing about Nala. Do you, um, do you want to let people also know what you do and your links and where to find you and things like that well, on social media? Thank you. Um, thank you very much so if you haven't already guessed I've probably dropped it a hundred times it's just habit I apologise um, but I am a canine behaviourist and holistic dog groomer by trade Robert and I run the internationally recognised distance learning college such a mouthful um, the Holistic Grooming Academy so I teach pet parents and also pet professionals um, how to safely groom their dogs while considering their emotional needs um, and if you want to look me up on Facebook, you can just look up the Holistic Dog Groomer and you'll find me. Or you can even look on Amazon because I've got a best-selling book out called The Magic of Holistic Grooming. Um, but yeah, that's that's where you'll find me. So I'm very easy to find. And I've got a very strange name, as you know, so it's easy to, to find me on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Not strange at all. <laughs> oh, it is. It's strange. <laughs> no. Um, thank you very much again for your time. It I really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, thank you, Robert. Thank you so much for inviting me on. All right, we'll take care. See you soon. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoy the show. Thank you to our new listeners in Los Angeles in the US and also in the US, a place called Helmet. So like they, their friends might have told them, I'd just like to request you tell your friends how awesome dogs are and how awesome the dogs are on this podcast. So like, share and subscribe. And until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family. 